The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Break, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Oh, it is a Friday, and we're going to talk women's basketball because did they thump Sanford on the road, and they did so with a lot of outside shooting. And we like to think outside the box. And speaking outside, he's driving down the road or riding. I don't know what he's doing. He is Keith Brake. He had the call last night. He's going to break down uh, that win. We'll talk a little bit about Mercer, some shocking women's basketball results, although I shouldn't be shocked because it seems like nothing is inevitable as far as the women. It is a very fun league right now because you really don't know who's going to win. And the standings are jumbled yet again. But let's start with down in Birmingham. Alabama. Keith, uh, you were there. You were very excitable, especially in the first half when it was raining down three-pointers from everywhere. Just talk about your initial thoughts on that performance. Yeah, man, that was wild. Um, I I definitely did not expect the threes to go in quite the way that they did for ETSU to start that game out. I I knew Mock was talking about it. I made it my key to the game in the pregame show is Bucks got to hit threes over the top of this zone defense, and Stanford's the only team that really you know, play zone kind of as a default in the Southern Conference. And you knew you were going to get the looks. You had to get them to go. Courtney Moore got a couple to go in early. Nevaeh Brown was three of five in the first half after being four of her previous 30 from beyond the arc. That's when I knew the Bucks really had a handle on the game. Stanford was able to get close, but their stars just weren't where they needed them to be. Andrea Bailey was still limited by the knee. Um, she leaned into um, a foul uh, on Giselle Thomas on the perimeter on a three-point shot and then landed awkwardly and was hobbling around after that. Had to come out for most of the rest of the game, came back in for about 45 seconds, maybe a minute, and then just could not go. And that's pretty consequential for the Bulldogs here down the home stretch because Bailey is unquestionably the straw that stirs the drink. Susie Angulifak was um, limited. Uh, compared to what she had been the last couple of games as SOCOM Player of the Week. She only had 15, uh, and when Bailey only had seven points, that's not enough to get Sanford over the top. But the Bulldogs didn't hit three-point shots. They didn't hit free throws. They turned the ball over too much. And, uh, you know, a lot of that is credit to ETSU. They didn't give them a lot of clean looks from the perimeter, played good defense, and, uh, you know, they, they frustrated the Bulldogs on the outside as well. Lots of errant passes. Uh, just you know, bad handles. They were they felt like they were hearing the defenders, uh, and and really just not trying to play with any sort of confidence. They they looked rattled uh, at several points in the game. Did Sanford, and that's the first time I've seen that team just look like they did not have an answer. ETSU was the better team for the full of the 40 minutes against Sanford at their place. That's not easy to do. First win in Homewood since 2018. And this conference is going to be wild down the stretch. There are five teams within a game and a half of the Bulldogs at the top of the standings. So ETSU is very much in the fight, and they've got a chance to stay in that and climb the ladder a little bit farther with a win over Mercer, if they can pull that off on Saturday. Yeah, we'll get to there in just a second. I I noticed that about Bailey as well. Um, 
Uh, especially after kind of leaned into the the one contact, and then she was she you know listening to you and syncing it up with the ESPN Plus, watching her kind of hobble around. Clearly, she's trying to gut it out, but but wasn't healthy. On the flip side of things, we're really starting to see Kendall Foley just get better and better, and now she's adding you know a little bit of a scoring punch: eleven for seventeen, four for six from beyond the arc. You throw in the five rebounds, a couple of assists, four steals one turnover and a career day with the 28 points certainly a huge day in her game has just to continue to impress me from where she was at the beginning of the year for the bucks she's grown so much and, and the, there have been several games now where it just feels like when kendall's locked in she goes to a different place you know we like to tease the brown about the scrunchy face she makes when when somebody's in the wrong spot or a set's not run right we caught the face Kendall is kind of the opposite. She just, when she's locked in, she is completely expressionless. There is no, there's nothing beyond complete neutral um, in her face, in her body language, and she'll just hit shot after shot after shot. When she's in that groove, she's, she almost turns into a Terminator. Like, she just, she becomes this, this basketball machine that... Uh, makes shots with enormous confidence, takes shots with enormous confidence, finds her teammates, rebounding the ball well, extremely active hands on defense. When Kendall is locked in, and I mean she's pretty good most of the time, and when I say locked in, I mean we're talking about 7 of 11, 11 of 15, 11 of 17 like she was last night, hits a couple of threes, doing the things that she wants to do consistently offensively, and she's engaged on defense to the full extent of her talent. Um, because even 80% of Kendall Foley is probably better than 80 or 85% of the players in the league on offense and defense. But when Kendall is at 100% like she has been now two of the last three games or three of the last four games, she's just on another level. And the idea that she has two more years to do that now night in and night out is absolutely terrifying and also absolutely exhilarating. Kendall was a really fun player to watch, and she was as locked in as I've seen her last night. Um, it was it was spectacular. And if ETSU has all three guards clicking, that's going to open opportunity to contribute. And the Bucks will need other players to contribute, probably a little bit more than they did last night. You know, Foley, Thomas, Brown, all in double figures. Giselle and, and they didn't shoot it super great from the field, but they knocked down some threes early. Uh, they hit they hit their shots at the free throw line. They did other things well. Uh, you will probably like to see some more scoring from other places. Courtney Moore fouled out with six points. Um, you know, Jabo, it wasn't really her job to score, but at some point it's going to be, and you want her to deliver. Uh, you want to see somebody step up off the bench and, and hit a few more shots. Journey McDaniel had good looks. She had two different three-pointers that popped out halfway down. Uh, the rim just wasn't kind to her, but finally was able to hit one from the left corner. And Megan Downing, that's going to come for her at some point, right? The scoring is going to, to happen for her, but a career-high seven rebounds, pure heart, tenacity, grit, that got the job done. At some point, you're going to want some bench scoring, but ETSU was able to do enough last night around Brown, Thomas, and Foley for ETSU to – get the win on the road that they needed. Big win, and I thought, uh, you know, maybe the tail thing of where the team, I think, maybe is looking to turn the corner. 
you know, they jumped out to the early first quarter lead in the first half, what, 10 threes, and that was a season high, I think, at that point, finished with 12. But start mm -hmm. of the fourth quarter, right, Sanford cuts it to a two-point game. Talk about uh, kind of the end of the third and then ETSU in the fourth just kind of putting them away. ETSU never lost composure. That was the most impressive thing to me, is this team is super young. Um, you're bringing back, I think there are, what, 14 players on this roster. 13 of them are eligible to return next year, um, and that includes Jayla Rufus-Milner, who's not playing right now because of injury. Everybody you saw on the floor, except for Thomas, was a, a sophomore or younger, Courtney Moore, and Ja'Kai Davis have played three years, but they still have more eligibility to give. Um, Kendall's a sophomore. DeVay's a sophomore. And this team just never lost its composure or its belief that they could win the basketball game and were going to win the basketball game. That's probably the most important takeaway for me is, you know, X's and O's wise, they had some players that were on the bench that um, they needed to try to preserve. Ja'Kia Davis was in foul trouble at that point, so she was out of the game. That probably helped Sanford a little bit. Uh, they changed some things to try to create some mismatches where they could get different players matched up against uh, the post. At one point, uh, Bailey, before she came out of the game, uh, I think was actually matched up against Downing, and uh, still could you know got the matchup she wanted and, and couldn't hit the mismatch or couldn't hit the shot over the mismatch. And that happened a few different times uh, with a few different players for Sanford. And it would just be one critical stop here, one critical basket there. When the game got down a little bit, nip and tuck, ETSU held its resolve and executed. And when that happens on the road against a really good Sanford team, man, where where does it where is it not going to happen for ETSU? It just gives you a ton of confidence. This team put Chattanooga out of their minds. They did not let the same team beat them twice, and that bodes extremely well for the Bucks. I mean, maybe in Macon, sure. Yeah, in Macon, it bodes really well for him. But it also bodes really well for him in Asheville here in about two and a half weeks. And, and you look at the, the standings, and we'll go over some of the results. But, you know, you mentioned a game and a half between top and bottom. And the one thing we know about the league is that it's it's very unpredictable because you look at the results, and, and Furman picks up its second win against Western Carolina. So now even the, the bottom teams have picked up a few wins on the season. Chattanooga goes to Mercer and picks up a three-point win. And then UNCG at Wofford. You know, we've talked about Wofford really got three scores, and if they're not going, then they're a very beatable team. And so UNCG goes on the road. You look at uh, uh, ETSU on the road and Chattanooga. Three of the four road teams win, and I would say probably three of or those three teams probably mild upsets um, you know, when going to do it. And so you look at the standings, Sanford 7-3, and three, Wofford Chattanooga 6-3, and three, Mercer 6-4, and four, Bucks 5-4, and four, and now UNCG 4-6. and six. And the schedule going tomorrow, you know, Furman's going to get a chance uh, to, to maybe get things going as far as the, uh, the homestand going. But, you know, they're going to get UNCG off the big win. Wofford's probably going to have a big game against West Carolina. And then the, the two other ones that are going to be huge, now Chattanooga goes to Sanford to try to give Sanford yet another loss. And then Chattanooga maybe leapfrogs them into the driver's seat or at least a half-game lead. And then ETSU is going to take on a, a team in Mercer, which we're going to talk about here, that Neil Tyser's back but played 20 minutes coming off the bench 
still doesn't maybe look like she's 100% healthy, but this was a bad matchup in Brooks' gym. Now, this is further down the road. How do you see ETSU attacking the Bears coming up tomorrow? I'll say this. I think if if Mercer doesn't have the shot-making ability of Amoria Neal Tyser available for the extent to which Amoria was available for the game in Brooks' gym, I definitely don't think we see a repeat of what we saw at the beginning of the year in Brooks. This is a game that ETSU very much can win. Um, it's going to be a little bit different because Mercer, I think, is a little bit better guarding man-to-man than Sanford was and certainly is more inclined to guard man-to-man and is going to come out aggressively on defense against Moore and also against Brown and Foley and not let them do what they do to give ETSU a chance to win. Uh, This is a game that I'm very intrigued to watch the chess match between these these two coaches. They obviously know each other well. They were on the staff together at Florida however many years ago. Um, and I think they're two of the best coaches in the Southern Conference, maybe the two best coaches in the Southern Conference. Certainly what Sean Poppy has done with Chattanooga has been really impressive as well uh, because he has used basically no bench and has been able to get his team in position to, to contend for a Southern Conference championship. So um, this is, uh, this is a, a heavyweight clash in the middle of the pack in the SOCON, two teams that had very different expectations coming in now are fighting for position to try to climb back up the ladder and get as high as they can to position themselves as well as they can before they get to Asheville. And this might end up being a preview of what we see in Asheville because I just it's, it's so tough to foresee drastic changes with five games to go or in Sanford's, or Mercer's case, four games left in their season. There's still a lot that can happen, but how much can really happen in that span of time that's going to change, you know, maybe one team is the four and the other team is the five, or maybe you get a different 3-6 matchup. Certainly think ETSU would like to get to third or better, and the same for Mercer, so that you're facing UNCG or you're facing um, Furman or you're facing Western Carolina in the first round of the tournament and try to give yourself a good position, a good opportunity to get to the semifinals because I do think those three teams are kind of out of the mix in SOCON play when you look at them this season. Uh, UNCG did get the win over Wofford, but it's really more of a spoiler thing at this point for them than it is a, hey, we're back in the mix thing. Uh, I think UNCG feels pretty comfortable. And from where I sit, I think they're pretty comfortable as the six. Furman and Western Carolina are going to duke it out for the seven seed. Um, and at that point, like above that, I think everybody still has a chance to move around a little bit, but it's still tough when you've only got a handful of games left. So this is a very, there's a very reasonable chance that this is a preview of the first round matchup in the Southern Conference tournament. What we're going to see when ETSU takes the floor and make it tomorrow afternoon. Okay, I'm going to give you two of my concerns uh, for the game tomorrow and get your take on it. Number one, Mercer shot 54% in the first meeting, and number two, they out rebounded ETSU with a healthy uh, Rufus Milner, 44 to 26. Uh, The glass is interesting because I think this group has had to reinvent itself in terms of rebounding. Without Jayla, it it was kind of the the mentality of if we miss a shot or if the other team misses a shot, Jayla will go get it and the rest will take care of itself. And it's not that way anymore. 
you can't simply rely on Ja'Kaia Davis or Megan Downing to go get all your rebounds for you at the five the way that maybe you could with J.J. So the group as a whole has been a lot more aggressive uh, in terms of getting to the glass, positioning themselves. Foley was really good last night rebounding. Thomas has been really good rebounding. Nave Brown's been really good rebounding. Then that collective effort, I think, is something that wasn't necessarily as present when Rufus Milner was in the lineup because they trusted Jayla Rufus Milner to win those 50-50 rebound opportunities. And now that you don't have her there to lean on and you have to step up and deliver, you being, you know, discard, 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 they've been much more active and aggressive on the class, and I think that's going to present itself against Mercer. And then you look at, you know, the field goal numbers. Again, Neil Tyser was 8 of 14 in that game. was a big part of why Mercer was so effective from the field. And then they shot uh, 21 of 24 free throws because Aaron Howe can't stand up off the back end of a jump shot. So uh, that's, that's really what it was. I mean, that's that's the, the two things that led to Mercer winning that game. And if Neil Tyser is not available for the kind of minutes that she played for the Bears in that first meeting, and, you know, Howe doesn't get to the free throw line as much, then suddenly it's a very different-looking basketball game. Mercer needs Amoria Neal Tyser to be the, the, the stabilizer, right? When ETSU started to go on a little bit of a run, it was Neal Tyser that hits the pull-up jumper from the elbow. And then the next trip down the floor, Neal Tyser gets to the rim and scores on a runner down the, down a straight, on a straight-line drive down the side of the lane. You know, she's the stabilizing force. Angelina Gonzalez is a really good player. She's going to be a really good player. Um, somebody who is an extraordinary individual recruit for Mercer and someone who kind of fell through the cracks a little bit in, in the Miami prep scene that came north to Macon and has an opportunity to make a lasting impact and forge a great legacy with that program. But she is still a freshman. And to put her in a position where a motivated, well-coached ETSU team is now hounding her because Neil Tyser maybe can only play 20 minutes is going to be very different. Um, teams are going to scout her differently now that she's had five or six games where she's been really productive. And how does Mercer navigate its way around that? That's the challenge. That's the question I would have for the Bears is what do you do when Neil Tyser is limited? We know what they do when she's out, and it's not very good. What do you do when she's limited? Um, and you have her there, but now she's in a position where maybe she only gets you seven or eight points. Or, or 10 points in a game where she has to come off the bench coming back from injury. That would be the two things. The, the, the answers I would have for your concerns are ETSU is much more team-oriented on the glass than I think they were the first time around when they played Mercer. And uh, Neil Tyser as a stabilizing force in the lineup for Mercer could be limited, and that limits, in my mind, Mercer's offensive potential. And most importantly, their ability to stop runs. If ETSU gets on a double-digit run in the game, they don't really have anybody they can go to that's just a reliable, proven shot maker that's going to be able to break that run and then throw a counterpunch for them. All right, let's... Uh... 
Move on to men's basketball real quick. ETSU tonight taking on VMI and for the Bucks. You know, I conceding uh, a miss. If you are going to try to get out of that Friday night um, kind of opening round games in the 8 9 7 10, you certainly need to knock off VMI to do so. That's who the Bucks are going to face. And you have to start pulling for the top three teams that can continue to win. That's part of it, too. You can't have UNCG, Furman, Sanford drop one to somebody unless they play each other. Uh, for the most part, you know, Western on Saturday is going to go to Furman. Citadel's at Sanford. If you're a Buck fan, you need Furman and Sanford to win that. Mercer, Chattanooga, you probably need Chattanooga to win that because Mercer has a tiebreaker against CTSU. And then Sunday, Wofford, UNCG. You need UNCG to knock off Wofford. Keith, your thoughts on what ETSU needs to sort of right the ship because a couple of road games didn't go very well for them, especially in the first half. Uh, Sanford and then UNCG, still no word. Uh, D'Anthony Tipler was on the bench and was dressed out and went through warm-ups. We don't know if he's going to play today. Um, so I don't know if it's easier to talk about at first maybe going with the theory he doesn't play today and then maybe add in the fact if you get him back a potential another score for the Bucks against the Keydets. Yeah, I, I think that's a very interesting storyline with this team, isn't it? Is what does DeAnthony bring to the table when he comes back to the program and gets back on the floor? I know he's been working out. Uh, he returned to practice last Friday. And now we're at a point where, okay, you've been back for a week. Can you come into a game and, and be part of a game and be a meaningful contributor? And, and, and it's kind of, uh, I mean, it's as low as the bar is going to get in the SOCON with VMI. It's a chance for you to get your timing down against a team that isn't going to be able to guard you as effectively, that isn't going to, to stress you as much defensively and allow you the time and space you need to get into game rhythm again. Um, ETSU with three perimeter scores with King, Tipler, and Hairston. If you can put all three of those guys on the floor at the same time, I think this team suddenly looks very different uh, because you stress perimeter uh, defenders in a very different way when you have three guys you have to respect, you have to defend uh, as shooters. Now, with Hairston, you just don't let him catch, right? It's a little bit different from Tipler or King who uh, can create their own shots off the bounce or, or are willing to take shots off the dribble. Um, Hairston just defend him with the catch but also you have to keep a player on that side of the floor to make sure open so that he can't catch because when he catches uh, that shot's going up right i mean you know mari is not shy about pulling the trigger and he can get it up fast and he can get it out of his hand quickly and he can get it in the net very efficiently when he does catch and shoot so it's a little bit of a different guard but that takes a player kind of out of the play okay well does that open things up for you to get the ball inside the jalen haynes what does that allow you to do for Jaden Seymour and his ability you know, to attack from the elbow in? What does it do when Justice Smith's out there on the floor? And does it open up more lanes for him to do some of the really effective straight-line driving things that we saw Justice do earlier in the season? How does it change the complexion of your offense when Tip is out there? I think it's a very interesting storyline to watch. And to your point, this is a must-win game. You, you cannot lose at home to VMI for the first time in the 21st century and then have expectations of playing anywhere other than Friday night in Asheville. This is a game ETSU flat out simply must win if they want any shot 
at getting off a of Friday, at getting into the four or five match, or getting into the you know the three six matchup, or, or or let alone the four or five matchup, where you're hopeful that you can get that extra day of rest, get that extra day of practice and prep, and maybe win yourself a, a first round game or a second round game, and get a little bit deeper into the tournament by not having to take the chance of playing that Friday night game. You've got to win. I think the the one thing for VMI to to go into Freedom Hall and get a win. I think they're going to have to knock down a lot of threes, and that's been the issue, I think, defensively for ETSU. You know, UNCG only averaging about six made threes, not particularly great, but sometimes, as I've talked about on air, they, they can be contagious. You get a couple to go down, and all of a sudden somebody else gets one to go down, and it's like the, the bucket somehow gets bigger for everybody. I think that's the one thing that if VMI is going to pull off the upset that they would have to knock down um, a, a lot of threes. They were six for 31 in the first one. ETSU was just four of 16, but you know Jalen Haynes had a 15-point affair. Uh, King and Tipler both came off the bench. Remember, that was the one game Jordan King didn't start. They combined for 23. Mm-hmm. But the big thing is I only see VMI pulling off the upset if they can do sort of what UNCG did, which is knock down a lot of threes. That's sort of the ultimate equalizer in college basketball right now. That's what Chattanooga did, too, is they had a lot of threes in transition. They had good looks in the corners. Um, you know, guys would just go to a spot and sit and wait for the basketball, and they would come to them off the driving kick in transition. They'd be wide open, bang, just bang, 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 bang. And before you knew it, I mean, you were in a double-digit hole at home to a team that you ran out of their own barn uh, the week before. So ETSU is going to be in a position where they have to guard the three-point line effectively. And I... I don't think that's going to be that challenging against this VMI team. But also, you know VMI is going to take a lot of threes because it's the only chance they've got, to your point, to win the game. They're not going to win on the interior. You're not going to stop Jalen Haynes. Jalen Haynes is going to get 20, 25 points again tonight. So you win this game by playing good perimeter defense, taking taking options away from ETSU, and hitting a lot, and I mean a lot, of perimeter shots. And then maybe if you can get some open twos as ETSU makes a defensive adjustment to try to take you know, those outside shots away, then maybe you can start to go to the paint a little bit more. But even then, I, I would trust Jaden Seymour and or Jalen Haynes to defend the interior when necessary. So I, the Bucks have a decided upper hand here. Literally all they need to do is prevent VMI from shooting 40% from three and maybe even prevent them from shooting 50% from three. I'm not even sure they could hit 45% from three tonight and and win the basketball game if ETSU holds them under half of their threes made um, regardless of the number that they take frankly I I think ETSU has a really good shot to win this basketball game and and probably should expect to win this basketball game in that instance all right Keith we appreciate the time safe travel down the road Uh, we'll be hearing from you I guess 1 30 tomorrow uh, pregame show uh, going into the Mercer tip time at two my friend Yes, sir. Uh, traveling safe. Mike Ezekiel's uh, got us uh, barreling down the highways of Alabama, which he knows like the back of his hand, except for that one new spot on the back of his right hand. I don't know. That that's that's that that must be uh, that must be South. That must be Homewood. That's that's what he. That's that's the, the blind spot for him. But uh, no, we're doing we're doing great. We're traveling safe, and uh, we'll we'll uh, talk to you tomorrow night, bud. All right, Keith. We'll see you, man. All right, Keith. Break on the road. Uh, let's uh, put the wraps on. There we are. Put the wraps on this show. ETSU 
men's basketball. That is going to be tonight, 6.30, 7 o'clock tip. On TV, it'll be Casey Marler pinch hitting for Keith Bray, Kim, and Bruce Tramberger. Have the call. Bruce will join me pregame and postgame. I'll go solo for ETSU and VMI. And we mentioned tomorrow, it'll be ETSU women's basketball coverage. Keith Break on the road to Macon, Georgia. The Bucks look to sweep the Sanford Mercer swing. 1.30 pregame show. 2 o'clock tip between the Bucks and the Bears. And we've been, we will be back with you. It's easy for me to say, right? Be back with you on Monday. And we'll break down all the Southern Conference results. We'll talk ETSU men's versus VMI. We'll certainly talk ETSU women's versus Mercer. We'll also turn our attention a little bit to some football coaches, some other players, a lot of stuff. Buccaneer Sports Network. Oh, you got to be kidding me.